Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 11, looking at verse number 7 today. I'm in the area of Scripture where I'm calling it the honor roll of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 7. I said when I embarked on our study of Hebrews that our journey would really bring us to a place that we all would have an opportunity once again to fall in love with our Lord Jesus Christ and to come and worship Him more consistently and more deeply. That's really what it is about. I have prayed that through this study, if you don't really know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that you would be led to faith and repentance, and then you would follow Him all the days of your life. And that if you do know Him, that you would discover afresh the supremacy of Christ and learn to live daily by faith in a way that pleases Him in the very thoughts you think, the very words you speak, the very actions that you are involved with during the day. And I don't want you to forget that it's because Jesus has opened up for us a new and living way to approach God by His one-time sacrifice on the cross, that we can endure the race that God has called us to and finish the race by faith. It is by His death and what it accomplished that we can press on and have a firm assurance of those eternal realities which are invisible to the outward eye, but by faith, We are able to look backward and see how faithful God has been in history and then in hope look forward and maintain a steadfast hope and and a present faith in Him and His promises as we live every single day. So like the saints that have gone before us who had a forward-looking faith and won the approval of God That's what we need to do. We need to follow their example and live by faith so to gain the Lord's approval in all that we do. One thing I must mention coming to this section of Scripture, and it's this, that faith is trust in the unseen. It is not trust in the unknown. That's a huge difference. In fact, you're going to find in the, in the Scriptures that go before us, like in verse number 7, if you notice, it says, By faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen. Not things unknown, but things not seen yet. So biblical faith is a faith that is absolutely certain what it believes is true because of who said it. And what it expects or what it hopes for will come to pass. So biblical faith is grounded in what we can't see, but we, what we know is true. So then, 
faith lays hold of what is promised and therefore hoped for as something real, something solid, though as unseen, for we may know by faith what we cannot see with the eye because of who said it. What God says is true, and what God says will come to pass, and that is our hope. We are saved through Jesus Christ, and we know that we will obtain full salvation, even though that full salvation has not yet happened. But we know by faith we have it because God tells us the truth. So these Old Testament examples before us live with trust in the unseen, or better, they live by faith. That faith is the ultimate assurance and the ultimate evidence that the things not seen are realities because of the character of God. When the Old Testament people acted in faith, they even inspired their generation, as we saw In the case of Abel, though dead for a very, very long time, the power and duration of a faithful example lives beyond the grave. His voice speaks to us through Scripture of the only acceptable way to worship God. With that said, let me... Let's together fix our eyes on the next example of what it means to have faith and live by faith. We already saw Abel lived, for him, living by faith is worshiping God in an acceptable manner according to God's way. With Enoch, living by faith is walking with God in a pleasing manner, especially according to the character of God. And this morning, as we look at Noah, living by faith is unquestionably obeying God's word. Living by faith is unquestionably obeying God's word in a manner of complete conviction. In other words, taking God. God at his word without questioning him. That's that's hard for some people. But Noah, that principle of living was very successful. He lived 950 years successfully. Uh, By faith he did that. So if it was a success for him to live in that manner, to live in a way in which he obeyed God unquestionably, even without questioning the whys of the ways God does things, then we too should also take on this manner of life and learn to love God and walk with God to the point in which we don't have to question what he says. We know it is true and therefore we ought to live accordingly now look at verse 7 let me read it by faith noah being warned by god about things not yet seen in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness which is according to faith now We already saw that it is impossible to please God without faith. 
And as I've already defined and described in the weeks that have gone by what faith is, then if you don't have faith, you cannot please God. Number one, you cannot be saved. And number two, you, on, in your daily walk, you can't please God if you don't have faith, if you don't trust Him, if you don't rely upon Him. Now, let me give you some background, first of all. The context and the people to which Noah ministered was not favorable. In fact, if you like to take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 6, I just want to read one, one passage of Scripture. It says in verse number 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then, of course, the Lord said, I will blot out man, verse 7, whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I made them. Now God is communicating, of course, to Noah some of the things that he is displeased with according to how men are living their lives on the earth. They are living their lives with great wickedness. They're disregarding everything that God had laid down in the beginning as far as the foundational principles on how to respond to one another, how to live with one another, how to sacrifice to the Lord in a proper manner, how to worship God, how to give Him thanks for everything. And so therefore God says and looks down upon man, He sees their wickedness, He sees that their wickedness is great on the earth, that wickedness has reached to heaven, and so therefore he assesses that the, even the intents and the thoughts of their heart are only evil all the time. That's a pretty bad situation. But is this world any different today? Are people the same today as they were in Noah's day? If the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, then I would say that humanity is the same even today. Now, who was Noah? Noah, like Enoch, was blessed by a harmonious relationship of communion with God, for it says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generation of Noah. If you look in verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, Noah walked with God. That's the same thing it said about Enoch, that Enoch walked with God. And remember, walking with God is daily. When you get up in the morning, God is on your mind. You are conscious of his presence. You understand what he requires of you. You are sensitive to your own sinfulness. All those things happen when you walk with God and you are very in tune with what God wants you to do every day. And that's who he was. And in his time, in this time of great wickedness, Noah was righteous. So he was an oddity. He was in the minority. He was not in the majority. And usually the majority tends to be wrong. Especially about spiritual things. Always about God. So Noah was blessed with this relationship with God. He understood what it meant to 
walk with God, and he enjoyed it. He loved it. It filled his heart. Now, the length of time which Noah labored and preached was a long time. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Noah was 600 years old when the rains began and he entered the ark. After the floodwaters subsided, he lived 350 years. And then, of course, in Genesis 9, verse 28 and 29, it tells us that he lived ultimately 950 years on the earth. But he was about 475 years old when God spoke to him about what he was going to do with the world. And so, from that point on, to the point that it started to rain, God delayed the flood for 120 years. And during that time, the reason why he delayed is so people could hear the preaching of Noah on how to get right with God, and so that they can repent of their sins and believe in Noah's message. For it's recorded in 1 Peter 3.20, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So Noah challenged the unrighteous generation of his day to repent, to put their trust in God, and warn them that if they continued in unbelief, Divine judgment would overtake them. Well, the message hadn't changed. That's the message today. Judgment is coming upon the world. Right? Unless men repent and believe in Jesus Christ and believe in the message of God and trust God, and if they continue in their unbelief, then judgment will come. God said it will, and it will. It did then, and it will in the future. So the Bible says that he did not spare the ancient world in 2 Peter 2.5, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of ungodly. So here is Noah preaching for a long time, preaching 120 years, and virtually having no converts. So for Noah, living by faith is unquestionably obeying God's word in a manner of complete conviction in his heart. Even though he did not see anything yet, he still believed God. So the question I have is, what does it mean? From Noah's example to take God at His word without question. What are some of the things that are included in that? Well, for Noah, as well as for us, there are several things that are included. Number one, that believing God's word without no visible evidence beyond what God said. You believe God's word beyond any visible evidence. Beyond what he, there's nothing beyond what he said, at least in this point, at this point in Noah's life, 120 years before it all took place. So it says in verse number 7, by faith, what did he do? 
Noah being warned by God about things not seen. Here it is. He was being warned by God about things that would happen over here. In fact, the term warned by God carries with it the weight of a serious command from heaven. Actually, it's to be divinely commanded, admonished, or instructed, or warned by God. Our translation here is to be warned by God. It's the same word, actually, found in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 5. This phrase, warned by God, in which God told Noah and stressed to Noah, listen, the importance of not fudging with, adding to, subtracting from, or minimizing the Word of God, where he says this in verse number 5 of chapter 8 of Hebrews, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. In other words, Moses, you do it exactly the way I say it. He was warned not to fudge with the things God has said. Not to soften the things God tells us and shows us in the Word. Don't soften judgment. No, you tell it like it is. So Noah really walked with God and learned to know God's character and what he wanted. And so one of the things he knew God wanted was him to simply tell it like it is. So what did Noah know at this time? He knew by what God said that God was going to judge the earth. He also knew that God was going to judge by means and in ways that he had not seen or ever heard of. It hadn't rained on the earth. Remember, there was no rain yet on the earth. Dew watered the ground from some kind of canopy over the earth before the great flood. And so there was never rain. Also, God told him there's going to be mountain-high floodwaters. Well, that's hard to comprehend if you don't even know what rain is or how much water that could be. To cover the highest mountains, 120, uh, 120 feet above the highest peak, the Bible tells us the water rose. And also, God told him of the devastation of the whole world. The elements that God pronounced good in creation would turn against unbelief for a cataclysmic judgment upon all humanity. Why? Because of the evil and wickedness of their heart. So see, if we're going to live by this kind of faith, then we have to believe God's word with no visible evidence beyond what God said. That I'm, like I said before, I'm going to have a resurrected body someday. I'm going to be in God's kingdom someday. There's going to be a new heaven and earth someday. All those things God promised, but I haven't seen them. But I know they're true because God said they're true. And that's what faith is. And so faith holds on to them as if they are true because they will be true. But see, God has to do his plan first. He has to work it out and he puts us in the middle of that plan. We are in that plan, and it, as I said before, it's exciting times to live today. 
with all the world stuff that's going on, with all the instability in the world today, that a lot of things that look stable are no longer stable, and so so many things are shaky, the message of God is even more important than ever. A second thing is this, to have this kind of faith, that believing God's word confirmed, is confirmed by external conduct. Look at verse number 7. It says, he, what did Noah do in verse number 7? It says that Noah, by faith, being warned by God about these things, in reverence, prepared, prepared an ark. That word, reverence, means to stand in awe of God's declaration. It means the attentiveness to divine instruction. It, again, is the same word used to describe the character of the high priest Jesus Christ as he offered prayers in humble submission to the Father, the Father being the only one who could save at that point, where in Hebrews 5, 7, it tells us this, in the days of his flesh, talking about Jesus, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. There, it's translated piety there. In the ESV, it's translated reverence. In the NIV, it's translated reverent submission. In other words, he had an inner reverent heart towards God. There was no animosity towards God because of what God was going to do. There is no complaining towards God. There is no grumbling before God. There is reverence before God. Again, the word is used in Hebrews eleven twenty eight, where it says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence, and awe. Why? Because God is a consuming fire. Reverence often coupled with godly fear. The fear of God is the beginning of what? Knowledge. Even in the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which the writer of Hebrews quotes often, it says in Proverbs 3, 5, for all the words of God are tried in fire, meaning that they're tried by fire and found to be true. And it says, and he defends those that reverence him. That those who believe his word and find those words to be true, those are the ones who reverence God. Those are the ones who honor God in their heart. So outwardly, Noah is living by faith inwardly, he shows an external conduct to to those who look on that he had such an honor and respect for the God who created the heaven and the earth, the God whom he walked with, that it was evident to all around him. So the conduct of Noah really confirmed the meaning and essence of faith that we looked at in in, in Hebrews 11, verse number 1, that the assurance of things hoped for, that is, his own salvation, and the salvation of his household, and the evidence of things not seen, the judgment of the flood, those are the things that he grasped by faith, as though unseen, and yet will happen because of what God is doing. 
So he had an inner reverent heart. We too should have an inner reverent heart when we consider who God is and what what he is doing. And even if we don't understand all that he's doing and we don't have all our questions answered, that is part of faith. And then there's a third thing, living by faith, taking God as word without question means, and it's this, believing God's word coupled with evidence of faith. You can say you have faith, and I've been saying this, but where's the evidence that you have faith? Well, in verse 7, here's the evidence. It says in the middle of the verse, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. So here is where Noah's faith becomes most remarkable because it really shows that he took God at his word. He believed God's word concerning concerning the impending judgment on the fallen, unrepentant human race. He believed God's word on the means which God would use to deliver himself and those who would join him on the ark, and he believed God and took steps necessary to saving himself and his family. So see, here it is, that believing God's word is coupled with, coupled with evidence of faith, meaning you take steps when you believe God to prepare as God tells you to prepare and how God tells you to prepare. And so what is the steps that he takes? Well, it says right here in our text, he prepared an ark. He prepared that ark according to God's blueprint. In fact, in Genesis chapter 6, in verse number 14 to 16, the Bible tells us some details about that particular ark. And it says this in verse 14 of Genesis 6, Make for yourselves an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms, and shall cover it, cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, that's about 450 feet long. Its breadth, 50 cubits, that's about 75 feet wide. Its height, 30 cubits, that's about 45 feet high. And you shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark inside of it, and you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. So here's a a ship. This is not a boat. This is a ship. This is huge. First, second, and third deck. A close example on how to visualize the ark, it's about one and a half football fields long. It's about as wide as a football field. And it's four stories high from its keel. Four stories high. That thing is huge. Matter of fact, Creation Research Institute is actually building an ark according to those measurements in the Midwest, which should be done in about two years. So if you really want to see how it really looked, then you'll have to wait. By faith, you'll wait. And hopefully... Hopefully, you, when you get there, it will it'll be done. But it was a big ship. I don't know if you were ever on a big ship. One thing that amazed me when I was on an aircraft carrier, 
this thing was two and a half football fields long. And it was as wide or wider than a football field. And it had a hundred jet planes, trucks, boats, 5,000 people. I don't know how many decks on that thing. And I was always amazed. How does this thing float? How does this float? I mean, I, I, I know the, if you do the figures and you figure out the science on how it floats and all, all, that, all that kind of stuff. But still, it's like, this is impossible. This thing could float. And yet it does. Well, I wonder where we got our ideas on how to build boats from. I think possibly Genesis laid down some things on how to build a ship so it floats. It's seaworthy. So it was a big ship. It was built on dry ground far from any large body or any ocean. It had never rained before. Noah obeyed God and began to lay the great ship's keel. And while he was doing that, what else was he doing? He was preaching. He was building the ark, and he was preaching repentance from sin and trust in God's word and coming judgment. That's what he was preaching. And he did that faithfully for 120 years. And what else did he do? He praised and worshiped God all along. He continued to walk with God. Remember, in the minority. And there's another important thing that happened while he was doing this. He persevered undeterred by the mockery of others. Now, come on. Can you hear the Noah jokes? The laughter on those sunny days with no mist in the air. No smell of rain in the air or moisture in the air. Noah surely looked like a madman. A crazy preacher. Especially to his unbelieving onlookers. Can imagine pull up their, pulling up their uh, beach chairs, sitting back for a Sunday afternoon or a whatever day uh, afternoon, watch Noah build the ark and possibly whatever deck he may have been finished with, preaching righteousness from that deck and people watching him, mocking him, sneering at him. And all those things were going on. He sounded like a fool to those who came and hear him preach. Are you willing to be a fool for Christ? Are you willing to be in the minority when no one else in your family believes what you believe, but you believe it because of what God said? Well, you know what? It's the same for us that we ought to take action and have this kind of visual faith before others because it tells us in the Word of God in 1 Corinthians, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles, what? Foolishness. But those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God And he is the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Are you ready to be found a fool for Christ's sake in this day and age? In your college classroom. When all the science data is against what you believe. 
on your job when because you live as a Christian life, don't get promoted. Don't get the raise. See, are you willing to live in a way in which you look like a fool because of what you believe? But, see, what you believe is true, and you hold that by faith. And your desire is for those who are around you, who think you're foolish, who can see what you see by faith and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved from the judgment that's coming. Isn't that our desire? That's our desire. So, by Noah's faith, two things float to the surface. Look at verse number 7. He was condemning ungodliness and unbelief. In verse 7 it says, by which he condemned the world. Now that's kind of a strange statement. And I think what we see here is a double-edged sword of the gospel. That every time the word of righteousness goes out and is preached, it goes out always for two reasons. Either to bring judgment and to seal judgment, or to bring salvation by grace. The word of God never comes back void by, without accomplishing either one of those two things. Because God's justness, justice must be met. See, it t- tells us in Second Peter 2.5, And did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So see, God was using Noah to carry out the message of salvation to a world that is going to be condemned by his faith. The very word condemned carries the meaning of, actually here, by one's good example to render another's wickedness the more evident and condemnable. In other words, light, the light of a testimony, the light of a godly life exposes darkness. Noah was a shining light in the midst of his wicked generation. I don't think people liked Noah. An example of this is found in the history of Athens, Greece. The finest men who ever lived in Athens. Aristotus, who was called the just... But the people voted him out of the town and banished him. One man asked why he had voted that way. And he answered this, because I'm tired of hearing this man being called the just. The reason why is because every time he was looked at as a good, just person, it condemned him as being a wicked and sinful person. See, there's a danger in goodness for In its light, evil stands condemned. Under the message of the righteousness of God, evil stands condemned. Under the lifestyle of a person of faith who believes God, the world stands condemned. So the reason why Noah's faith condemned the world is because what he was told by God as yet unseen came to be in every last detail to an unbelieving world. So here's personal righteousness contrasted with godlessness all around. Look at chapter 
look in Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. See, when other people broke God's commandments, Noah kept them. When other people were deaf to God's word, Noah listened to them. When other people laughed at God and laughed at the message and laughed at Him building the ark after the pattern in which God told them, He reverenced God. So see, who's going to have the last laugh? His faith condemned the people around him who disbelieved God and disregarded the warning. And not one person responded to his faithful example and his righteous preaching. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Eight people? Out of all the people who lived at that time, everyone else were sealed in unbelief. And let me once again remind you that opposition and persecution to the gospel rises out of unbelief. Ridicule rises out of unbelief, and we should never, ever be surprised by unbelief. Because it's as old as the hills. Genesis chapter 6 through 8 is a record for our instruction, a clear rejection of the message of salvation, the gospel, because of unbelief. Did you ever feel disappointed? when you enthusiastically shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone and they outright rejected you. And you concluded, there must be something wrong. Maybe with me, maybe with my message. But this ought not to be. A Welsh preacher of his day said the idea that we ought to feel disappointed when people do not believe the gospel, that we ought to think that something has gone wrong is altogether mistaken. The idea that the gospel is a message that must appeal to men and women is all wrong. By nature, people have always rejected and hated the gospel. The world in general has ignorantly refused to believe the only message that can save it and make it right with God. It's always been like that. So you may feel in the minority. You may feel a fool for Christ. You may feel things have gone wrong, even when you sincerely have preached the gospel, but they have not. This has always been that by his message and by his life, the world is condemned in their own unbelief. But there's a second thing that rises to the surface in verse 7 of Hebrews 11, and it's this. Not only was the world condemned 
in verse 7, but it says, and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He was confirming God's way of salvation. That he became the heir of righteousness which is according to faith. Here we see again in Hebrews this word heir. Used in a messianic way, it's one who receives his allotment, his allotted possession by the right of sonship. That, of course, when used of Christ, all things being subject to his sway. It already told us that in Hebrews. If it's used as far as Christians are concerned, then, of course, as exalted by faith to the dignity of the sons of Abraham, so the sons of God, and hence to receive the blessing of God's kingdom promised to Abraham. The inheritance in which Noah entered was not entered by self-righteousness, but by a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Noah was looking ahead to the cross. We're looking backward to the cross. But the cross is central for salvation. That Noah could not have been saved. Enoch could not have been saved. No one could have been saved if Christ did not die on the cross. It is an inheritance that God has provided in Christ that we have already studied in Hebrews, that Jesus Christ is supremely and uniquely the heir of all things. That Noah and all true believers receive an alien righteousness. That means a righteousness that's not our own, but that which comes from God and necessary for salvation. See, the only way we can obtain this righteousness is by faith in Christ. Belief that he died for our sins plus trust in him alone for our salvation. That is the only way anyone becomes right with God. It's the only way anyone gets saved. So you know what that means? It means that Noah... And every other heir of righteousness is so only by virtue of having been made one with Christ. That in Christ, we are saved. And if Christ is the heir of all things, there is no inheritance remaining for others unless they are united to Christ. That Christ is God's final word on salvation. That's what it said in verse 1. Chapter 1 of Hebrews. In this last days, God spoke in His Son. He's the final revelation of God. There is no other revelation of God. So if someone does not believe in Christ, they cannot be saved. So what's left for them? Well, the same thing is left for them as was left for this world back in Noah's time. Judgment. In fact, I'd like you to take your Bibles for a moment and turn to Matthew chapter 24. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you that all those who are true children of God are fellow heirs of Christ Jesus. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. So, see, all that is left to those who do not inherit 
a righteousness that comes from God is judgment. So, the world today is forewarned by the flood of Noah's day as the Lord himself taught in Matthew 24. Look at verse number 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Now, what is that? Well, the state of the world just prior to our Lord's return will have some of the same characteristics of Noah's day. What are they? Well, people will be utterly absorbed in things earthly and present. They'll be utterly absorbed in the the world. They'll be utterly absorbed Uh, absorbed in the earthly things, the things that are just here, the things that are rust and fall apart. They live for things. They live for money. They live for power. They live for fame. You know, everybody wants to be an American idol in our country and in Britain and the world. But they become an idol and so what? Everybody wants to be a millionaire. They become a millionaire, so what? The government's going to take it from you anyway. So people are utterly absorbed in the present to the point they don't even look to the future. They don't even look to where they're going to spend eternity. Look in Matthew chapter 24, verse 38. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and they were drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. See, they were going along the same path they always went along they weren't concerned about judgment they were concerned about the present they were concerned about filling their own stomachs they were concerned about their own pleasure they were not concerned about the eternal soul before a just and a holy god a second thing is that people will comfort themselves with the talk of peace and safety now this comes in just stay there in Matthew 24. But in Thessalonians, it's, it's Paul who mentions to the people who are living in his day and those who would live in the future, while he was saying peace and safety, then destruction come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. See, people comfort themselves and they talk about peace and safety. Oh, judgment's not going to come. Peace and safety is all around us. And they comfort and they talk about that. But you know what? Peace and safety is not all around us. See, God's judgment's coming. There's a, there's a third thing also in Matthew 24, verse 39, that people will utterly disregard God's word and his warning of coming worldwide judgment. It says in verse 39, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away so will the coming of the Son of Man be. See, so the message that we have today is the same message that Noah preached. If people don't repent and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, all that is left for them is judgment. And I do know this, that in an hour of judgment, there is security only for those whose life is hid in Christ. Like Paul said in 
to the Colossians, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. If we are in Christ, we are safe. We are rescued from impending judgment. We are rescued from the worldwide outpouring of God's wrath. We are rescued from that because Christ is the one who rescues us. Now, before I say another thing, the typical teaching of Noah and the ark, I don't think is rightly understood sometimes. Because usually the ark is taken as a type of Christ. But what if this was the position? That the righteous, Noah, is a type of the righteous one, the Savior. The ark made by Noah represents the work wrought by Christ for salvation. That Noah's family were granted salvation from death solely for Noah's sake not because of any righteousness of their own. And it's interesting that that is uh, a good point because back in Genesis chapter 7, in verse number 1, it says this, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. He did not say, that those who entered the ark with him were also in that position. So, him representing Christ, that Christ is the one, of course, who grants salvation based on his righteousness, not the, your righteousness, not the righteousness of anyone else. That's the alien righteousness, where it says in Scripture, Come thou all thy house into the ark for thee, Not all of you have I seen righteous before me, so it is now your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Our sins are forgiven for Christ's namesake, not for our namesake or the namesake of anyone else. So yet each of them in his family had to accept deliverance personally by association with Noah, by his example, by his preaching, And how do they do that? By entering the ark. That the act of entering the ark proclaimed their individual faith of each, and so they were saved by faith also. So we're forewarned by Noah that all of what God has said will come true. So the message and example we receive from Noah is living by faith is unquestionably obeying God's word in a manner of complete conviction. And that simply is this, taking God at his word without question. Do you live like that? I pray that you do. Because if you do, your life will be different. And if you do, you will be in the minority. And if you do, you will be considered a fool for Christ. And if you do, 
You'll be rescued from the wrath to come. You'll be rescued from the wrath to come. You know why? Because you believe the God who said it, who cannot lie, and will always tell us the truth. And see, unfortunately, it's kind of dangerous being a Christian because even our faith condemns the world as Noah's faith condemns the world. And believe me, the hardest thing for me to do as a pastor is to go and preach a funeral to someone I know has never lived like a believer or confessed Christ, and I'm there preaching. Can't preach him into heaven. I'd like to, but I can't. I have to just preach Christ to those who are there so they would see their standing before God and call on the one who can save them and rescue them from the wrath to come. Amen? I pray this morning that we would truly learn to live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, this morning I thank you again for the word of God. It is awesome, Lord, to hear Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for the visible and visual faith of of Noah, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for his reverent heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that he walked with you and learned early in his life what it meant to have joy by walking with the God who's created the heaven and the earth, who provides salvation eternally, for all those who believe in him. And I pray, Lord, that we too would live this way. We too, Lord, would live in a manner where we trust you with complete conviction in our heart, in a manner in which we reverence and have awe for you, and in a manner in which we have visible faith, evidence that we are believers, not only in the words we speak, but in the actions and the message that we give those around us. And I pray, Lord, use us to be that example to others. So those who do not know you, who are still in unbelief, may believe, their eyes may be open, that you may grant them life, and Holy Spirit, you may quicken them, and they may come and believe in Christ by faith. I pray you would use us in that way. And I thank you, Lord, again, help us to continually live in this way. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.